this, this morning, I'm going to share with you out of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a Gentile physician named Luke. And the book of Acts records the history of the first century church. It's birth on the day of Pentecost, where 120 are filled with the Spirit. Peter preaches a message, 3,000 are saved. And the spread of the witness of the church across the Roman Empire as God adds multitudes upon multitudes to the ever-growing kingdom that is being advanced by the apostolic fathers and those who by virtue are being saved by their ministry. And in Acts 14, Luke records one of the stories of the advancement of this gospel. And I believe within this chapter there are several principles for us today that if we would have eyes to see and ears to hear... God, by his spirit, could do something fresh in, in our lives. Acts 14, starting in verse 1, the Bible records this story. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. And there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. See, Acts 14 is recording the tail end of Paul's first missionary journey. He is traveling with a ministry companion named Barnabas, and they are visiting a series of cities which are located in modern-day Turkey. Cities like Antioch, Derby, Lystra, and others. See, Paul lived in an age that was known for its constant chaos. In the time frame of this journey, there is simultaneously a great famine happening in Jerusalem. The emperor Claudius is expelling all the Jews from Rome. A great persecution of Christians is rampant. And right in the midst of it, Paul gets a bright idea. I'll take a missionary journey. I'll visit these major cities across the Roman Empire. And I will spread the gospel before it is too late. Every emperor would seek to enshrine their legacy by expanding their borders. And people don't realize this, but at the height of the Roman Empire, its conquered lands stretched all the way from Great Britain to Iraq. And the early church, they would actually use this to their advantage, spreading the gospel to the borders of the known world and seeing entire regions transformed along the way. See, this first missionary journey, it's happening about 10 years after Paul's miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus. In that 10-year time period, Paul has undergone quite the transformation. He has gone from the great persecutor of the church to the great evangelist of the church. And his specialty is convincing Jews in the synagogue and reaching Gentiles in the marketplace. Now, I want you to notice this about Paul. After his conversion experience, God uses him in the same spheres of influence he had before, but this time it's in a redeemed fashion. Paul is still in the synagogue, but this time he ain't teaching religion, he's winning souls. 
Paul is still in the marketplace, but this time he's not just making tents, he is making disciples. See, Paul had a gift for teaching and a talent for tent making before he ever heard the voice on the road to Damascus. But when Paul got touched by Jesus, all of a sudden the labor of his life was baptized into the glorious mission of Christ and it became an avenue for societal transformation. See, when you get a touch of God in your life, your talents don't change. Your skill sets don't change. They get baptized into supernatural purpose. And the anointing of God transforms them into a weapon for kingdom advancement. Now watch, watch. David didn't automatically develop the talent to play the harp after Samuel anointed him. But after the anointing came upon his head, when he played his harp, demons would flee. Elisha didn't automatically develop the talent to prophesy after Elijah anointed him. But after the anointing came upon his head, when he spoke, the nations would shake. An encounter with God takes your natural and infuses it with the supernatural until it becomes a weapon in the hand of God. See, I took eight years of Spanish. I can't even order at Taco Bell. I took six years of piano lessons. I couldn't play like these guys if my life depended on it. I can pray all day long. My Spanish will never improve. I can fast for 40 days. My piano playing abilities will never increase. But when I was set apart by the elders, anointed with oil, and commissioned to preach, God took my natural ability to communicate. He enveloped it in supernatural grace and now uses it as a tool for building his kingdom. See, I would submit to you today that the skill set and settings that you find yourself in are the best indicators of the grace that God has placed on your life. And instead of asking God for a change of scenery, you ought to ask him for a change in your spirit so you can see your surroundings through a redemptive lens. And you know what's funny about gifting? It's never special to the person who has it because they have never known what it's like to not operate in it. But each person, a measure of grace has been given to. And it is your greatest avenue to see the mission of God accomplished in and through your life. Now watch verse 2. It's interesting. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas, they spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. You need to see this today. A great number of Jews and Greeks believed, but even in the midst of the harvest, there was some who refused and poisoned the minds of others. See, the two most contagious things in the kingdom of God are faith and unbelief. And those elements are in constant conflict with each other, even in this room on a Sunday morning. 
Oh, I wish faith was an automatic response to being in the presence of God. Because if it was, it would make my job a lot easier. No, faith is a choice you make to engage with what God says is possible. The Jews refused to believe. They made a conscious decision by virtue of their will and volition to harden their heart against the message of Paul and Barnabas. So if both faith and belief are choices that we make, then what are you choosing to engage with today? See, what I've found is that some people refuse to engage with faith because it's actually the way that they guard themselves against disappointment. Well, if I never believe for anything good, I guess I won't have to be disappointed when it doesn't happen. What a sad and depressive way to live. Watch what the Bible says about unbelief. Hebrews 3, the generation of Moses could not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. John 3, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Romans 11, they was broken off because of their unbelief. Matthew 13, and he could not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Mark 16, after the resurrection, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief. See, to the Jews, Paul's message was death. To the Gentiles, Paul's message was life. It was the same message from the same man on the same day. The only difference was one group operated in faith and the other group operated in unbelief. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is present in this room today. The same miracles, the same salvation, the same restoration is available for you today. The question is not, is this message for me? Or is this altar call for me? Or is this prayer time for me? The question is, will I operate in an attitude of faith that signals to God that I am ready to receive everything he has for me in this moment? It's no wonder Jesus says in Mark 11, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. But the condition of Mark 11 is not, I'll believe it when I receive it. It's you'll receive it when you believe for it. See, our culture says, I'll believe it when I see it. But the scriptures say, you will see it when you've got faith to believe it. Because faith is not a passive acceptance of whatever exists. It's the hopeful proclamation of that which God desires. Now watch what it says. Paul and Barnabas spent time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. See, friend, without boldness, there is no demand. Without a demand, there is no miracle. And without miracles, there is no confirmation. Meaning this, 
Miracles are on the other side of a bold, audacious demand that puts God on the spot to be faithful to his word. And this is the testimony I hear over and over again. I was watching the live stream. I was sitting in service. I was listening to the podcast. And all of a sudden, you begin to call out a specific disease, infirmity, dysfunction, diagnosis. And I just knew you were talking to me. And in that moment, I lifted my hands. I bowed my head. I positioned myself to believe. And God did exactly what you said he would do. See, faith reaches into that spiritual atmosphere and it pulls down what is readily available on your behalf. You know, sometimes people operate, well, unless the pastor has an exact word for me, unless the message is perfectly tailored to the exact circumstance I find myself in right now, Unless somebody calls me out with laser accuracy, so I know that I know that I know that I know that I know I'm in the right place at the right time, then I'm just going to disengage. Because if God really wants to do it, then he'll just do it. No, God wants to do it. But it's impossible to please God without faith. And what faith does is it positions yourself in the house of God, worshiping the Son of God, enveloped by the presence of God, and it dares you to believe that what is true about Him can be true about you if you will just have the faith to believe that what the Bible says is true. Our God still has power, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So when I get into service on a Sunday, I'm using my faith to believe. Because Paul says in preaching, you'll even save yourself. It's not just that you've got a faith to hear. I've got to have the faith to hear. I've got to have the faith to receive. I've got to have the faith to say, no, God can do a work in me. Even when I'm the one doing a lot of the work on stage, my heart is yielded to the work and the way of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying, God, don't pass me by because I probably need this message more than just about anybody else. Faith grabs a hold of that which exists and applies it to your circumstance, knowing God is no respecter of persons. So if he did it for that person, he gonna do it for me. Now the only reason for not being bold is you're concerned about not wanting to look foolish. And listen, you're not ever gonna bat a thousand percent, but I'd rather miss it every once in a while than never have the courage to swing when it matters most. You know, several years ago I was getting on a plane and I was traveling to preach at, a, at another church out of state and they had a mishap with the ticket or something, and so they ended up switching my seat at the last moment, and I was sitting in the very back row by the bathrooms on the window seat. There was nobody in the middle, and then there was this gal sitting on the aisle seat. And I, I, don't, I don't love to travel anyways. It's just by the time that you get a, a free physical from TSA and stand in line and they unpack all your stuff, you know, you're just not in the right mood. And now they're switching my seat. I'm sitting next to the porta potty. I'm thinking, oh God, is this judgment? I'm gonna put in my headphones. I'm gonna close my eyes. I'm gonna tune out. And I'm sitting by the window just hoping nobody else is sitting next to me. And all of a sudden, at the last minute, this lady sits down. Oh God, well, at least she ain't gonna talk to me. As soon as I close my eyes and try to tune out the world, the Lord speaks to me. 
He says, this woman's on her last leg. She's at the end of her rope. She's ready to give up. And she's going to rehab as her last desperate attempt to get sober. And you're going to tell her that. And I thought to myself, no, I am not. <laughs> Number one, you accuse a lady of going to rehab who's not going to rehab. It's going to end badly for you. Number two, I'm already going to preach. I'm already going to do what you've asked me to do. Just let me do that. <laughs> what I found is it's actually on the way to ministry that most ministry happens. <laughs> it's on the way to your assignment that you got several side assignments that just pop up. And so this lady started to talk to me. I took out my headphones. I'm engaging with her the whole time I'm fighting with God. And I wish this story had like a better ending. Like, and I yielded to the voice of God and said these things and revival broke out on the plane and everybody got saved, but that's not how it happened. I just argued with God for 45 minutes and we're just making small talk and I'm thinking, man, I dodged a bullet. God is probably wrong anyways. I'm just gonna get to where I'm headed. And about halfway through our conversation, randomly, she looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, I don't even know why I'm telling you this, but I'm on my last leg. I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried so many times to get sober and I failed. And my family's blown apart and my life is over and I'm going to rehab to get sober. And in that moment, it was like the corrective voice of the Lord. <laughs> I was trying to tell you this. Because <laughs> now it's not as powerful for you to tell her, oh yeah, I knew that. God told me actually before. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I made a commitment in that moment. God, the next time that you speak, I'm going to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Speak, God, your servant is listening. I don't want to miss another moment and allow the spirit of timidity to rob somebody else from a breakthrough that they so desperately need. See, when you don't operate in boldness, it's not so much about you not getting another gold star on your spiritual highlight chart. It's about somebody else missing out on a needed breakthrough that they're desperate on their way to a sinner's hell. And maybe without that word, they'll never see the light of his glorious grace. And so in that moment, the Lord corrected me and did a developmental work in my heart and I just committed even if I look foolish even if I get it wrong even if I miss it every once in a while I will not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus for it is the power of God unto salvation first for the Jew and then for the Gentile now watch verse 4 but the multitude of the city was divided Part sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. And a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. Now they became aware of it. They fled to Lystra and Derby into the surrounding region and they were preaching the gospel there. It's interesting that word divided in the Greek is the word schizo. It's where we get the English word schism. It means to split to tear apart, to open up, or reveal by virtue of separating. It's the same word used when it says the curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn in half when Christ died on the cross. Now watch this, friend. The move of God always reveals the hearts of man, for it will expose and reveal the hidden motives behind the curtain of your soul. 
Half the city sides with religion. The other half sides with the apostles. And thus the conflict unfolds. Now a violent attempt is at hand. Which seeks to abuse and stone Paul and Barnabas. For preaching the gospel. I like what Piper once said. The devil only has two weapons. Pain and pleasure. He will either hurt you so bad you hate God. Or give you so much pleasure you don't need God. And the solution to both is the same. God is more precious than what I lose. And God is more precious than what I gain. Do you think that living for God in this culture will come without blowback and conflict? Do you think that believing in scripture will be celebrated and honored in this dark age? It's funny, everything was fine and dandy until the miracle started to flow. And then out of nowhere, every religious demon reared its ugly head with the intent to stop the move of God. Now watch, the world is fine with Christian philosophy. The culture is okay with spiritual idealism. The region is totally cool with simplistic religious gatherings. But as soon as the message was confirmed by signs and wonders, division came to the city. Now, Jesus says this in Matthew 10. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, when God begins to work in your life, when God begins to work in your church, when God begins to work in your business, your city, your family, it'll always bring division before it brings unity. The division is a necessary separation between dead works and living faith. The division is the necessary separation between wickedness and righteousness. The division is the necessary separation between darkness and light. For Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And he prunes back every branch that does. Now watch how the story continues in verse 8. Now when they got to Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Now Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, stand up on your feet. And that man jumped up and began to walk. Here's the good news. The gospel works for those who have never walked before. You might be here today and not know nothing about this Jesus. Might never been to a church like this before. Never heard a message preached like this in your entire life. But if you came in lost, you can leave found. If you came in lame, you can leave healed. If you came in with a crushed spirit, you can leave with the oil of joy. I love this story because I am struck by these verses. A man who has never walked. Never heard, never believed, finds himself in Lystra listening to a man he's never met. 
But there is something about this Paul. There is something about his stories, something about his passion, something about his testimony that is stirring faith in the heart of the man who was born lame. And as Paul is speaking to the crowds, he locks eyes with the one who was disabled. And the Bible says he saw that he had faith to be healed. Now the Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't imagine the reason why Paul saw that he had faith is because he was holding a sign that said, I have faith for healing, choose me. As Paul is addressing the multitudes, possibly hundreds, if not thousands of people, as he's ministering under the anointing, he locks eyes with the one. One who was desperate in need of a miracle. One who couldn't go another day living in his dysfunction. One who had never known the freedom of what it was like to walk in the strength of his own legs. And the Bible says, Paul saw faith, which tells me this, faith looks like something. I imagine this man was not sitting like this, bored out of his mind, scrolling on his phone, checking how bad the Mariners lost today, bored out of his mind. Well, if God wants to do it, he'll just do it. I'll see I've just really come here as a professional critic. I don't really know about this new guy. Paul never heard him before. I wonder what his resume is. I imagine there was a posture he had taken. I imagine there was an intentionality that he was representing. I imagine there was something contagious about the way that he leaned in and hung onto every word that Paul was saying. I imagine there was something stirring inside of him of faith that dared him to believe that maybe, just maybe, this day salvation could come to his household. I imagine there was a leaned in look. There might have been tears in his eyes. There might have been a stare staring into the soul of Paul. And as Paul is speaking to the masses, by God's spirit he stops for the one he sees faith and he calls it out and as he calls it out that man responds and finds himself walking in the very place that he had been sitting here's what gets me Paul sees faith on the man who is lame, but the miracle doesn't trigger until he calls it out of him. Paul says, stand up on your feet. And the man jumped up and began to walk. See, this is actually Paul's pattern as a father in the faith. It's what he does to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. He says this, there was faith in your grandmother Lois. There was faith in your mother Eunice, and I am convinced, Timothy, this faith lives in you. See, I see faith in you this morning to live a righteous life. I see faith in you this morning to lead a successful business. I see faith in you this morning to raise a godly family. Oh, you may not see it yourself because of what you was born into. But as I look at this crowd today, I am convinced it lives in you. See, all of us need a Paul in our life 
to call out what lives on the inside of us. Because a faith that stays hidden is a faith that never realizes its full potential. Now when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles heard of this, they tore their clothes. They rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, but we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who has made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. But then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. So they stoned Paul, dragged him outside of the city, thinking he was dead. In the process of six verses, the people go from worshiping Paul and Barnabas to stoning Paul, dragging him outside of the city and leaving him for dead. The people loved the result of the miracles, but they were incensed at the source of the miracles. Come on, just take the credit, Paul. Come on, just be prideful, Paul. Come on, just receive the worship, Paul. It won't hurt anyone. See, the last person to think that way was an angel named Lucifer who was struck down from heaven because pride always comes before a fall. And when Paul refused to receive the worship of the people of Lystra, he was simultaneously communicating, the idols you worship, they are worthless. The temples you have built, they are worthless. The sacrifices you have made, they are meaningless. But there is a living God who has made the heavens and the earth, and he deserves all the glory and the praise. Let me in here. I can't promise you the support of the crowds, but I can promise you this. When you encounter the power of Jesus, there isn't one person who can talk you out of the things that you have seen and heard. I know the crowds are loud, but I was born lame and now I can walk. I know the crowds are scary, but I was born disabled and now I can dance. I know the crowds are intimidating, but there was a moment in time where someone saw a faith that was stirring in my heart. They were willing to be bold by calling it out. And today I have a hope, a joy, and a peace like I've never had before. And the crowds can't ever take that away. And in Luke 18, Jesus asked this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? For faith is the currency of heaven. And when we operate in a God-honoring faith, we position ourselves under the outpouring and the overflow of everything that God desires to do.
I want this church and the people who call this place home to have such a faith that rises to heaven like a sweet-smelling incense that God himself takes notice of the boldness that we operate in and says, I can trust those people with the things that they have been praying for, for they operate by faith. Just by virtue of you being here this morning tells me you at least got a mustard seed in your heart. You had enough faith to get out of bed. You had enough faith to get dressed. You had enough faith to dare yourself to come back to church. You had enough faith to raise your hand in worship. You had enough faith to clap at the end of a song. You had enough faith to say, God, if you can use little old me, here I am. You had enough faith to walk in these doors. You had enough faith to say no to anxiety. You had enough faith to show up, sit in a chair, listen to a preacher you never met. It tells me that actually God is at work in your heart more than you even know. And I'm here to as a father in the faith to call it out because I am convinced it lives in you and if faith like a mustard seed can move a mountain then there ain't one thing too hard for this God that you serve so I'm saying let faith arise in your heart let faith arise in this room and dare yourself to believe God is not done with my life my best days are ahead of me and no weapon formed against me will prosper because I've got God on my side. Now we are people of faith. Not just passively accepting what seems to be true, but boldly proclaiming God's reality until it becomes the very thing that we walk in for the rest of our lives. When Paul saw faith. God, today I, I, I pray that as your eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, what you would see in us is a faith to belief. That the declaration of our life would be, let it be done unto us according to your word. God, when we've got nothing else left, what we offer you is the one thing that you have so desired, a broken and a contrite heart mixed with faith that says that if there's one person who could fix the darkness and the mess of my life, it's Jesus. If there's one person who could use me for his glory, it's Jesus. If there's one person who can turn this thing around into a miracle, it's Jesus. And so we use our faith to boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need to ask for help. And we're saying, God, by your spirit, would you begin to do a work of healing, restoration, deliverance, and development in every part of who we are until we are transformed into the image and the likeness of the one that we worship. We approach you with the little faith that we have. And we say, God, do your best work in us. We'll give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor both now and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen. And amen. Listen, listen, listen. If you're here today, listen. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus like you should, 
Maybe at one time you were close to him, but if you were to be honest, you're far from him today. Maybe you're like that man born lame, born into a tough family, born with a set of circumstances that was unfair, but you still carry the wounds of it this morning. I'm here to tell you, we serve a Jesus who saves, heals, and delivers. You might be here today, you need a miracle in your family. You need a miracle in your finances. You need a miracle in your business. You need a miracle in your marriage. I am telling you, I have met the man that turns our mourning into dancing. And that is the Jesus that we call on today. You are not too far gone. You are not too lost. You are not too dirty. It is never too late for God to write a new chapter in your life.